I'm here to meet David McGuinness in his shed. He's an amazing musician, if you haven't heard of him before. He's been a radio producer, he's a composer, he's a performer, he's everything. Hi David. Hi Simon, it's good to see you. Welcome to my shed. Oh, isn't it fantastic? I want one. <laughs> this, is great. this is the first day you've ever actually recorded in the shed. I'm dead excited about that. Great. Has music always been your passion? I think it's been the only thing I've been any good at. I think that's what it boils down to. It's like, well, I think I'm quite good at this, better than I am at anything else. And it's just, I've just always kept coming back to it. I mean, I, I tried to go to university to do maths and it lasted four weeks. Um, so I think there was a lesson there somewhere. <laughs> I studied maths as well. Really? It's amazing about a year. The number of musicians you have, or who've started and then yeah. thought, now wait a minute, um, and decided against it. I keep meeting more of them. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, what draws you to historical Scottish music? And do, do you have favourite composers? Oof, right. Oh, I suppose what, what got me there, um, I suppose from playing fiddle tunes when I was at school uh, with my pal James, and uh, in fact, his granddad was James Moyer, who conducted the Glasgow Caledonian Suspain Real Society. And when we were at school, uh, he got some money from Glasgow. I can't remember who the head of music was at Glasgow Education Department. I've forgotten his name. But we had a little thing going called, the, uh, how was it, the Glasgow Schools Fiddle Band? This would have been kind of early 80s, 81, 82, something like that. And uh, got kids together, you know, after school on a whatever it was Wednesday afternoon. And we got to Alan Glen, so there was a classroom that had a piano in it, and I was sitting playing the piano. And um, and that's and so we just used to play together. And then the Mitchell Library had a music lending department as well as a reference department, so you could go and take out scores and records. It was brilliant. It wasn't my education really, but one of the things they had, and you could actually take it out. I don't know why, was an original copy of the Gow. Com uh, I think the first volume of the complete repository. Um, and so here was a, this old book that was being sort of patched up by a very careful librarian uh, to stop it falling to bits. And there was even a bit of manuscript at the back that had some of uh, Butler's sort of wretched piano variations on Duncan Gray. <laughs> and, um, and so here were all these tunes, but they had these bass lines in them. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then when I was a student, uh, at York and uh, I got really interested in early music and I played the harpsichord a lot and I thought well normally a bass line like that you'd sit at a harpsichord and play chords but that doesn't work with these bass lines this, this is something else and people would always tell me yeah but you know David this is sort of drawing room music or oh it's just a bit rubbish they didn't know what they were doing and uh, always in the back of my mind I thought mm, it's, it's not that simple. It can't be, you know, either drawing room music or rubbish. It's got there's, there's something else going on. And so, about twenty odd years later, I finally sort of had this research project to investigate all these baselines that are in these old books and discover that actually there's a wee window where it's our best guess at what they actually played on the cello when they were playing for dancing. And there's plenty of other evidence that sort of lines up with it. And um, and that was all quite exciting. But uh, I think that's what got me into that. What first got me into the historical thing, and then. In the early 90s, I think it was, uh, meeting John Purser. And when the Scotland's music book first came out, uh, there was a concert series in the Edinburgh Festival in the Usher Hall that was based on, well, some of it was in the Queen's Hall, I think, uh, based on some of the stuff in the book. And so we got to do a load of music by the Earl of Kelly and James Oswald and the cantatas by John Clark and Penny Cook. And 
I remember just thinking, hang on, why doesn't, why do we not know about all this music? Why can't you go out and buy it on a record? Mm. It's, you know, records and CDs then. Um, you know, that's scandalous. This is kind of our musical history that we just, and it's a bit of it that's just invisible. And of course, John being the great crusader that he is, <laughs> he was like, yeah, you know, people need to know this. Um, and that was a sort of motivation for, I thought, well, hang on, I could do that. I, you know, I, I know people who play early music. We could, we can figure out how to do this stuff. And just, you know, with a bit of help from that, that determination that John always has, um, sort of started to make it happen. So that was sort of my motivation, I think. You no, know, so it has to be possible to go into a record shop, remember record shops, <laughs> and, and buy this stuff. Um, and at the time, it, it just wasn't. So um, I think that was what really got me going. And is that when you started Concerto Caledonia? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it started for that very uh, festival. What was that, 92? So we could do the John Clark stuff and some music by John Abel, who's an Aberdonian composer around about 1700 and a singer. Uh, and yeah, that was how it started. And I, I never really sort of, I was not quite happy with the name of the group. It was one of those, right, we need something that sounds like an early music group that's yeah. Scottish, you know, Conservative Aberdonian, okay. And I've been stuck with it ever since, sort of 25 years or whatever, but um, you know, it could be worse. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what a difference you've made to the scene through the band, through the CDs that you've made. Uh, you know, and actually we were talking about a lot of the looking at the music, the hms.scot mm. website of archive fiddle music is, is absolutely amazing. Uh, the hms.scot thing, that was, it's funny, I was I was going through, um, my art, I've got a drawer full of DAT tapes right from the 90s and finding a DAT machine that works these days is really hard. They're all knackered, you know? <laughs> and you think, I went through about three DAT machines, I didn't, actually three big Sony DAT machines, went through them all about two years ago, as they just snarled tapes up, nothing. Nobody could fix them, there were bits missing, hopeless. And I've got a wee DAT Walkman, it's the only thing I can find that will play it. Um, and so I've been archiving all this stuff so I don't lose it, a lot of radio broadcasts and things like that. And I found my first ever radio interview, on Radio 3, 1992, talking about the John Clark stuff. And in it, I sort of have a little rant as I'm, prone to do <laughs> about how th th there were people, particularly academic people, who, who knew about this music, but they didn't get it out there. And there was sort of very close circle of people who knew about all this historical Scottish music, there was tons of it, but you know, getting it out to people who knew about it was, was hard. And so one of the things about hms.scot, which is this website that I really wanted to do, was just get the stuff that's in the libraries out so that people can get at it the simplest way possible. So you don't have to have like 300 pages of scholarly notes to get your hands on the thing, yeah. which is the kind of academic way of doing it. It's like it has to be rigorous and, you know, to get money, it's got to be really, really detailed in every way. And I thought, well, actually, we need something faster than that. Actually, get the stuff photographed, slap it on a website and, and index it all, have a proper grown-up librarian making sure that you can find stuff because librarians, you know, from my experience in the Mitchell yeah. Library, are really, really important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they make things, they make it possible for you to get at stuff. Um, yeah, librarians are heroes, and so make it, just making it possible for people to find things. Um, and so, I've, having got, I've got a little bit in that direction. I was sort of hearing that tape of me ranting yeah. twenty-five years ago. I thought, well, you know, I've been an academic now officially for about eight years. Have I actually? done anything to help? Have I got anywhere? And I thought, well, actually, I've, I've done a little bit. <laughs> I'd like to have got a bit further, but um, just in terms of, you know, because this stuff is our shared heritage, we all have an interest in it. And not just Scottish people, you know, the whole world yeah. should have an interest in it. Um, 
but you have to be able to you know get sight of it and, and, and read it and find out what it sounds like and we should all check it out because hms.scot yeah, is fantastic actually and it's going to keep on updating so uh keep going back we're working on phase two uh not quite there yet but we'll be gone. there <laughs> <laughs> well actually we are going to play a tune from that yeah hms.scot i don't know if it is on hms.scot certainly it, it's uh it's the, the book it, hms.scot will tell you where to find the book so th this tune is from the fifth gow collection uh, it's a tune by Nathaniel Gow called Coilsfield House and I I first knew this tune from the brilliant Ocean album Seal Song with Tony Cuff's amazing guitar oh, playing beautiful. and it's just a gorgeous gorgeous thing um, and I'd always wondered I thought oh you know I love that version so much but I always thought I wonder what Nathaniel Gow's version looked like and I'd never found it in a book until quite recently and I thought well, there's his bass line and I thought, oh right, oh, and what usually happens when you see these, like lots of people before me, you look at them and you go, oh, that's a bit disappointing. <laughs> I thought it would have been more exciting than that, you know, because some some people's bass lines from then are really, really are exciting. Like uh -huh. Robert McIntosh's ones are fantastic, insane. They jump all over the place, and you're like, wow. Um, some of the Marshall ones are really good, but but he didn't even write those. But the but this, I was like, well. It's okay, and I sort of I discovered that Callsfield House is one of the few fiddle tunes that you can play gospel piano underneath, <laughs> and it sort of works. It doesn't sound just wrong. Well, maybe it does. <laughs> we'll find out. In a minute. We'll find out. In a minute. <laughs> and I sort of got uh, you know you, you develop a habit if you're playing a tune a certain way. You know you have your own personal tradition with it, and um, I thought oh, I quite like the way I play it already. Thanks, Nathaniel. Um, <laughs> But I was looking at it again yesterday because I knew you were coming. I thought, I'll get the book out and I'll look at it. And um, I thought, oh, actually, if I play, you know, I can sort of do gospel piano using um, Nathaniel Guy's bass line. I thought, oh, you know, he wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> you know, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing with his own music. So I'll have a go at a slightly gospelized version hey, of fantastic. Nathaniel Guy's gospel <laughs> Right, let's do it. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. I'm going even longer on the pause at the end. Da, 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 Fantastic! Right. 